Hello everyone, welcome back to Through the Eyes of a Therapist with Crystal Martinez Acosta. Here today we have a special guest, her name is Myra. Say hi. Hello. Okay. Today we're going to be talking about how mental health and fitness and self-care all intersect, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so, but before we start, I want to ask Myra, our guest, some questions. Tell our listeners what you do for a living. Okay. Um, so my name is Myra, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and I practice mental health therapy at a community mental health clinic. Oh, cool. So we do the same thing. <laughs> so yeah, we work together, and it's awesome. Myra's a very good therapist. Um, tell us about your education. Yeah, um, I received my bachelor's in social work from the University of Texas at Austin, uh, and then, Ooh, cool. yeah, hook okay. them horns. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, this is not a Paso podcast. <laughs> Just be careful. Just yeah. kidding. Um, and then I received my master's in social work from New York University. Awesome. That's great. So tell us what made you want to become a therapist? Um, well, I think like most people in our profession, I wanted to help people. I just mm-hmm. wasn't sure in what capacity. I thought about being a lawyer, and then when I oh shadowed, shadowed a lawyer, yeah, I realized that that is not a way that I wanted to help people, and then... I didn't know that about you. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Um, and then at some point, um, at the high school that I went to here in El Paso, we had a community service and public uh, community service and criminal justice program Mm -hmm. and I was a part of that cohort and we did a lot of uh, community service we talked about civic engagement how to be a change agent in the community Mm -hmm. and somehow I learned about social work Um, and then Uh, I thought I wanted to go into psychiatry um, uh, but then I didn't want to go to med school Okay. (laughs) You're like, just don't want to do that. So I kind of did my research to see what was a way that I could help people and focus on mental health and wellness Mm -hmm. and not have to spend my entire life in school. And I also didn't want to prescribe medication. So Hmm. it seemed like social work was the perfect avenue for me because it's so broad. Mm -hmm. So in case I ever changed my mind, I could do other stuff with it. That's true. Social work is a broad, I would say, Um, area of study and I think all of the experience you talked about like civic engagement that's part of social work law is part of social work Um, helping people is part of social work Mm -hmm. knowing about medication for mental health and even in general health I guess Mm -hmm. like you have to kind of know that so it's not psychiatry you're not prescribing but Mm -hmm. you have to have some sort of expertise related to that so it sounds like the social work area kind of like fit nicely with all of your interests yeah okay and then it just fell into place and it just fell into place. Yeah, yeah, that's neat. That's interesting. I had no idea you wanted to be a lawyer. That's so different. Yeah. I mean, it's different because <laughs> in like in therapy or clinical social work, we're trained to like listen and reflect and really understand where somebody's coming from, even if they're like a perpetrator. Yeah. Right? Like that behavior shows us something about them and they've gone through something, right? And so mm-hmm. we understand them, even though maybe the average population is like perpetrators ew no right like we don't want to understand them um because they're evil or whatever but that's so interesting it's so opposite Mm -hmm. okay 
Um, <clears throat> what kinds of issues do you deal with in your current practice? Um, most of the population that I work with have some have gone through some type of trauma, okay. whether it's sexual abuse, physical abuse, neglect. Um, mm-hmm. I have a lot of clients that deal with issues of divorce, um, clients that are diagnosed with ADHD, and um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, so we work with a similar population, and I think um, it'd be interesting to hear kind of how we work differently. So mm-hmm. I I was trained at New Mexico State University, and we learned a lot about, like, um, I guess r- using a lot of basic clinical skills and how that can really get you a long way with a client. Um, and then it wasn't until later in my career that I started to hear about different modalities like that you could use, like TFCBT, which is trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy, um, PCIT, which is parent-child interaction therapy, and there's a specific therapy that you are certified in now, right? Mm-hmm. And it's some training that you have you had received previously and you brought it with you right and you're the only one in El Paso Mm -hmm. and I think in part of the region actually I think the nearest um, therapist that is trained in child's parent psychotherapy is up in Denver wow yeah so that's like 600 miles away from here so it's either Myra or the Denver person (laughs) in this area so can you tell us what that therapy is yeah so child parent psychotherapy is a therapy that focuses on treating infants from months old um, up to the age of five that have experienced some type of trauma and it's doing work with the parent or the caregiver and the infant and using attachment as a way to help the child heal. Interesting. So even infants. Mm -hmm. So this is a question I think I even get a lot in practice, like with my families. They'll say maybe, they'll disclose some sort of trauma or violence that happened in the family or in the home. And they say like, oh, but my child was like five months old. Mm -hmm. And they don't remember. So what kind of answers do you have for people that are wondering about that? Well, well, first of all, I think it's also a defense for us because we'd like to think that children don't remember because we want to protect them, Mm -hmm. right? That's true. But they do remember, and as infants, we just remember things differently. We remember more of the body sensations. Um, So if a child was in the room while their mother was being physically abused by their father, they might show more crying, they might um, show more hesitation to being attached to a certain caregiver, Um, they might be more detached, so they their trauma responses manifest very differently than children that are more verbal. Right, so what you're saying is that if trauma happens when somebody is verbal, like maybe a little older, like seven or eight, and part of their traumatic experience was verbalizing something or they were able to talk about it at that point in time, that they're more likely to process it in that way in Mm -hmm. therapy? Yeah. Okay. And it also affects attachment, right? Because if there is trauma in the home, then the likelihood that one of those caregivers isn't fully present for that child is very high. So Mm -hmm. child-parent psychotherapy focuses on enhancing the attachment between the child and the caregiver so that they can develop a secure attachment and continue to develop in a healthy way. Wow, that is so interesting. Mm -hmm. So what is the youngest 
client that you have treated thus far? The youngest client that I had had just turned two. Okay. Yeah. So wow. he was young, but um, I'm excited to work with like infants that are months like old. even smaller, yeah, even younger. younger. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Okay, so I kind of want to, I guess, use trauma as like a segue to self-care because trauma, self-care, and mental health are intertwined. And I think that when somebody experiences trauma, even as a baby and even as an adult, like there are body effects and brain effects, and these are physiological changes that can actually be, they're tangible, right? Like people can study the brain and see the actual physical changes in the brain. But also sometimes if we were, let's say, in a really bad car accident or part of like abuse, then our body is going to remember that, right? Mm -hmm. So what I wonder also is how maybe exercise and fitness is a way for somebody to take care of themselves, either to, I guess, reduce the effects of trauma Mm -hmm. or just to prevent kind of... uh, having those traumatic responses and being a resilient person what do you think about that I think that it can I think that fitness can help for multiple reasons because we know that biologically we have um, certain hormones that just naturally help us feel better and so I think that's what we hear the most Mm -hmm. but I also think that when you really dive into fitness you force yourself to really pay attention to your body when maybe sometimes we choose to ignore ourselves or not take care of ourselves. So it's a way to really become more in tune with yourself and your body responses, not just to get flat abs or to get better quads or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Like you literally have to pay attention to your body because if you are doing something that isn't good for your body, I mean, your body's going to react. So then you have to stop or you should stop and you learn those boundaries. Right, that's true. So like if you're doing something and let's say you're lifting weights or something and it's too heavy, your body's going to respond with pain. You have to really pay attention to your form and what you're doing. So it's a sense or a form of mindfulness practice, right? So it's activity, but it's mindfulness. So um, I think a lot of people think of like mindfulness, then they think of like relaxation and then Mm -hmm. they think of yoga. Yeah. But I don't know if yoga is the only thing or form of fitness that encourages mindfulness, right? Mm-hmm. So what are some other ways that people can engage in mindful activity? Besides yoga? Besides yoga, yeah. Um, well, I'm thinking specifically of running because that's what I use personally as self-care and as a way to practice mindfulness, um, especially when I'm running longer distances. Um, Okay, so what is it about longer distances that makes it different? Well, first of all, when you sprint, your body uses different muscles and your form is different and it's a different way that your heart is working. Mm. And so that requires a specific skill set, right? So you have to pay attention to what your body needs for that specific type of running. And for longer distances, I find that it's a slower progress so it kind of frustrates you a little bit and you have to learn to deal with that frustration and then you slowly build your body up i Um, see yeah so it's like a like you have to increase your threshold yeah i guess little by little or like tolerance or something yeah and it's a it's a slow progress Mm -hmm. or 
process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a slow process. And so I think that that itself forces you to be more mindful of how your training is or how you're diving into um, long distance running. Okay, so today we're talking specifically about running and self-care because I know this about you, but I want our listeners to know a little bit more about this part of you is um, how you run marathons and that's something that is important to you and how you engage in self-care and how as a therapist it's really important for us to engage in self-care. So can you talk a little bit about your marathon history and what your experiences have been? So I've been a runner since I was in middle school, Um, but I was usually running track, so I was running shorter distances. Mm -hmm. Once I got to, I would say, the end of my college um, career, I started to run a little bit longer. So I was running 10Ks um, just because I felt like I was ready for something like that. And it was just something to help maintain my uh, my health. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I got into grad school, I had a very difficult internship. Oh, I okay. was working with um, clients that had severe and persistent mental illness. So mm-hmm. a lot of diagnoses of schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, Um, borderline personality disorder and so as a student um, going to school full-time going to my internship 24 hours a week I felt like I was already burning out and I wasn't really even in the field yet yeah you were a student still okay Um, and so I started to think about what I could do to help myself find more balance and in 2013 I took my first step and I signed up for the New York City half marathon Okay. Um, and that was, I think, the catalyst to everything else. Um, running 13 miles in a city like New York was amazing. Mm. Um, there are a lot of people that support runners out there, and so the crowd just made me feel like really good about myself, and it was just such a great achievement. Mm-hmm. And so um, later on in 2013, I would say like in May, after the bombing in in, in Boston. Boston. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I had signed up for my first full marathon in San Francisco. Okay. And I was a little bit scared because of that bombing. And then I think at the same time I felt empowered um, because it was a way of me focusing on myself, but also kind of standing up to the people that kind of did that. Yeah, like yeah. sticking it to them. Like, yeah. you know what, I'm going to do this whether... You try to scare me or not. Yeah. It's empowering. Yeah, and there's a strong sense of community within the running community, so Mm -hmm. I felt like um, it was good timing for me. And so since then, I've tried to run a marathon a year. Um, I've run five full marathons, and my next marathon is in October. Of this year? Of this year. And where's that going to be? It's going to be in Amsterdam. Wow. Yeah. And where were you last year? So last year, I ran in Berlin, Germany. Okay. I also like to travel for my marathons just because it's another form of self-care for me to mm-hmm. kind of get away for a little bit and force myself to take a vacation. Yeah. yeah. That's a really good idea because you're combining like two things, like killing two birds with one stone yeah. kind of thing, right? And mm-hmm. so it's like I've always wanted to travel or I like traveling, mm-hmm. so I might as well go see a new place. Mm-hmm. I'll see it on foot for 26 miles, right? Yeah. So a full marathon is 26.2? So then the half is 13.1 mm-hmm. miles. Okay. Um, can you tell me a little bit about 
what you do to train for a marathon, like what that looks like, like some of the steps and even um, maybe like the exercise regimens, the food regimens. What is that like? Um, As I've gotten more experience with my marathon training, I've changed a lot of stuff just to meet my needs. Um, I let myself train or start to train at least seven months before the actual marathon. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you um, have to plan way ahead of time if yeah. you're going to do one. Yeah. And okay. that's mainly just so that I can start incorporating or incorporating other things that will help strengthen my body and mm-hmm. remind me that um, I need to get into training mode. Because if you just jump into it, um, that's what causes injury. And oh. so I spend, a, I would say like a good six weeks focusing just on strength training um, cross training, doing things that are going to help strengthen my legs and just my stamina and my endurance so that mm-hmm. I'm healthy enough to start running. Um, I see. Yeah. So it's like steps. Yeah. You have to take certain steps. Yeah. And so for you and your body, it sounds like you know your body well. Mm-hmm. And so you know you need about seven months to prepare. Yeah. And this is for a full marathon or a half marathon? For or? a full marathon. Okay. Yeah. So I'll usually take about a month and a half just preparing my body and also mentally preparing for it. Mm-hmm. And then for about 16 to 18 weeks, I will train um, on a specific plan for the actual marathon. So I will have a certain amount of mileage that I meet each week, um, slowly increasing, and then about three weeks leading up to the marathon, I'll slowly start to decrease my mileage so that I can have uh, refreshed legs. And in the last year, I would say that something that I've incorporated better is my eating habits. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's a really big piece to training for a marathon because if you don't, eat well then I mean you won't have um, your body just won't be ready for all that mileage wow yeah because yeah, that's tons of ground to cover right mm-hmm. like 26 miles is not <laughs> not easy I mean if we're comparing it to El Paso that's like very far east side like horizon all the way to like wrestler right that's yeah. like 26 miles yeah or 27 I've run from like Mesa mm-hmm. Mesa and Executive mm-hmm. all the way to like where Seattle Vista Mall is, and okay. that alone was only like 10 miles. Oh my god! So I had to loop around and get creative. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Did Did you have to run back home uh, or like? Yeah. Oh, okay. I had to I run back like, home. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you made a loop and then went back. Yeah. I'm like, who picked you? Up yeah. On that side of town. Okay, I got you. So you mentioned something right now about mental preparedness. Um, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I'm a strong believer that your body can do anything you train it to do mm-hmm. if you do it the right way. Okay. I think it's more of our minds that get in the way of being able to achieve certain things hmm. because our mind, I think, is more powerful than our actual body. So It is. Yeah. It is powerful. The mind's very powerful. Yeah. yeah. So um, during the time where I'm prepping to cross train and strength train I also just focus on some of the mental blocks some of the things that maybe get in the way of me really devoting my time to training so like what um so for example last year um I I think I had a lot of issues of whether I wanted to commit to a marathon because of just personal stuff that was happening at home with my family and whether it was good timing for me. 
Um, and I had to do a lot of reflection on whether it was something I could commit to mm-hmm. because it's a very long process to commit to a marathon. Yeah. And um, as I thought back, you know, it made a lot of sense for me to train for it because that's the way that I take care of myself. And I think it worked out pretty well because it helped me cope better with what was happening. Okay. Um, I had my own space. I had my um, my own time to train. And that was just time for me instead of letting all, all of these other stressors impact me. I see. Yeah. So that w- it was like a buffer or like a protection that it offered you yeah. um, with stuff that was happening in your personal life. Um, so one thing that I wonder about is if you can tell us a little bit, and I'll talk to you about it too, um, is some of the struggles that we have as therapists and why it's important to engage in self-care. Because mm-hmm. I know that like for me, we work in the same place. We work with kind of the same population yeah. with lots of trauma. And so we are subject or more susceptible to like vicarious trauma, secondary trauma, burnout, things like that. Even just chronic stress, like from the day-to-day stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, compassion fatigue, things like that, which I'll probably talk about in a separate episode. But something that really stands out to me about our work is that um, we care a lot right like we're helpers and we want to be in the helping profession and it just comes with the territory so self-care for you is running Mm -hmm. um so not only does it help you with your personal life and deal with those things but it also helps you deal with work I would imagine yeah I think sometimes running can be seen as a way to literally run away from your problems Mm -hmm. and to um run away from stressors but I think that if you really commit to long-distance running, it can actually be a a way of reflecting on those stressors and feeling more in control because you have a lot of time to think when you're running 26 miles. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, you could listen to music for however long your your iPod or whatever your player is going to die eventually, and then you're stuck with yourself and your thoughts, right? Yeah. So it allows you to process things and gives you, like, a time and space for it. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I think um, when I first became a therapist, I was already a group fitness instructor. So part of my self-care regimen was exercise, and it always has been. It's evolved over time Mm -hmm. because I think everything that kind of life throws at you, like therapists are human too, right? Mm -hmm. And so even my job changed, the hours changed, everything like that. And so um, I think that I have to engage in different kinds of self-care now just because I have different like health issues going on and things like that. So I can't necessarily like maybe train for a full marathon, but maybe a half one. And so I've had to learn how to be patient with my body Mm -hmm. and be compassionate towards myself. Like, you know what? Okay, maybe your knees hurt because you old now right like (laughs) you know you gotta take it easy and like you want to save your cartilage for another 40 years right so like I just for me my body's a little different so I have to be a little more careful so I've started incorporating things like reading or listening to music and doing you know knitting I sound like an 80 year old (laughs) lady right but like just things like that um cooking and if I do exercise I do like a fitness class because believe me I've tried doing the treadmill we're running outside and I just can't like Mm -hmm. me personally I need to have somebody pushing me Mm -hmm. so I think we're different in that way right like you can like go 26 miles like you're you know that's good yeah um 
I think one day though we should try to do an obstacle course race together like we yeah. meet halfway so um something that I used to enjoy was like cross training crossfit and stuff like that and then you enjoy running so like I love obstacle course races mm. and I've done a few of those I haven't in a few years because I almost died like literally um so I'm a little traumatized but one day I'll get back to it yeah. and I think that that's important to um not let experiences like that get you down and you know you gotta keep going I mean yeah. your body needs exercise no matter what mm-hmm. whether you use it for self-care or not yeah it's part of owning the machine right yeah and it's maintenance um what about anybody else that might have um they want to run a marathon what do you think they should start with if they've never started running before mm-hmm. well you know I would think that it's important for that person to reflect on one why do they want to get into running mm-hmm. um, and then two are they a lone runner or are they a group runner there's a uh-huh. lot of groups that um, are established for runners especially here in El Paso um, the store up and running has groups that meet up on both the west side and the east side mm. so they have their own um, route that they run usually and it's open to everybody and so I think that's a good way for people to kind of get their feet wet with running so if they're a little bit intimidated um, don't know the routes and stuff like that they could always join groups or if they prefer to be alone like literally just getting out there and And doing it yeah Yeah. Um, I think that you just run and you listen to your body you slow down when you need to and then if you feel like speeding up doing that too it's just literally getting out there yeah, like just taking yeah. the first step and doing it and mm-hmm. listening to your body. Yeah. Because I think people will give up if they like push themselves too hard or do too yeah. much. Then they'll be like sore and they can't walk and like yeah. they'll regret it. So I think it's important to listen to your body, take mm-hmm. it step by step. That's very important. All right, Myra, thank you so much for spending some time to speak with me. I really appreciate it and I really do hope you come back. I think that we have a lot to talk about still. So. Um, I think you're an expert in a lot of different areas, and I think you'll really add a lot of value to the podcast. So really, I mean it. I think you should come back and join me. Um, But this is it for Through the Eyes of a Therapist. I'm Crystal Martinez Acosta, and my guest was Myra, and we'll talk to you later. Goodbye. Bye.